I'm always very interested in the people development side of things, so not just as an employee or a team member, but also as a manager or, or as a nonprofit founder. I've always been very interested in those issues. I remember when I was starting my nonprofit, like I meet people a lot and I basically met everyone and try to kind of sell the dream, right? And I do think all entrepreneurs or all good managers are, are people who are entrepreneurial and are people who can articulate the vision and dream very well. It's always about learning and doing something that I I thought I couldn't be doing, but like basically challenging myself to like to advance and to to learn new things. Hi, I'm Amanda Kua and this is One More Scoop. Here, we're sitting down with Southeast Asia's top founders, executives, and investors to have honest conversations about their personal journeys and find out what really happens behind the scenes. Arnold Chan is the general manager for Airwallex in Hong Kong and Southeast Asia. He handles Airwallex's overall business growth in these regions, building out their local commercial teams and operations, and helping businesses leverage fintech solutions to grow internationally. Before Airwallex, he was the founder and executive chairman of Teach4HK, a local education social enterprise in Hong Kong. Hi Arnold, so nice to meet you. Hey Amanda, good to see you. Today I really want to speak about more about you. I've come across your profile a couple of times. I see you cited in a lot of the Airwallex articles I see on the news. And really nice to get the chance to speak with you. But I want to get to know a bit more about you. Can you share a bit more about your background? Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Sure, sure. Um, I think I have the most atypical background of a like kind of startup uh, manager. So I, I'm born and raised in Hong Kong, very, very local. Went to like very traditional local school, the college in Hong Kong, very local as well. But like I, I'm like those like kind of like very traditional local Hong Kong kids where like like success means like good grades, like good college, and also getting a good job, right? Like and then I kind of followed the very traditional path of like how people define success, and then kind of moved into banking as my first job. So I started my career at Goldman. Um, it basically changed my entire world in terms of how I see finance, how I how I actually meet a lot of smart people around the world as well. Because, like I said, I was very local, um, and I I didn't really had a lot of like expat friends. Um, so I think uh, Gomo is a great platform for me to understand more in terms of how global finances work, global businesses work. And, and I, I was very fortunate that I had really, really good managers at Goldman. They pushed me really hard. They made me grow really uh, a lot. Like I was a sales back then. Uh, I remember like I, I had a really um, kind of chubby baby face, right? So people like think I'm like really young. And, and whenever I went to client meetings, people were like, oh, you're this young kid. Why are you talking to me? I remember my first manager basically always kind of gave me a lot of encouragement, gave me a lot of empowerment. Despite the fact that I was very junior, um, I was very early in my career, I was able to kind of lead client conversations by myself um, and lead a lot of internal discussions by myself. And I think that kind of empowerment and that kind of like taste of like leadership basically helped shape my subsequent careers as well. And three years in, I really liked the team. I really liked the job nature, but I felt like I want to kind of learn more about different things in life. So I went on to business school at Harvard, did that for two years. And interesting enough, I actually took a gap year in between the two years um, because Harvard is always advocating about like, like, 
making a difference in the world, uh, trying new things, right? So I actually went on to start a nonprofit in Hong Kong. Um, it's called Teach for Hong Kong. So we send teachers into low-income schools in Hong Kong. Um, I always liked education. I always felt like education is a huge part of my upbringing, like how my teachers like kind of encouraged me. So I always want to do something back to the community, contribute back through um, the means of education, right? And um, that's why I had this idea from Teach for America and Teach for China. And, and that's why I decided to do Teach for Hong Kong. I never thought um, working in a nonprofit would be my full-time job, job right? So that's why I um, I kind of took a gap in between my two years of MBA. I still remember uh, it was a very spontaneous uh, decision. Um, I was about to board the flight to go back to my second year in just two weeks' time. And I decided to like, okay, why not just give it a try? I was only, I think I was only 25 back then. So I, I decided to give it a try. And um, and turns out um, I was very lucky. I got a lot of uh, funders, like philanthropists supporting uh, my cause. Um, and I decided to go go back uh, for my second year, one year after. But I actually worked in my nonprofit full-time for, I think, five, six years. Um, and um, it was great. Like we, we raised a lot of uh, philanthropic funding. Um, we helped a lot of community. We, we built a name for ourselves in, in the local um, kind of nonprofit community in Hong Kong. And, I, and it was surprising because like you never realize the skills that you learn in an investment bank will be very um, um, transferable, right? I learned about fundraising. I learned about how to do client meetings. And all these are actually good skills that are very transferable to my nonprofit days where I need to do fundraising for my nonprofit as well. I need to kind of um, talk to our counterparty stakeholders as well. And obviously the team management skills, I, I like I said, a lot of my like leadership skills and heard from my first manager, like how he gave me a lot of empowerment and how he gave me a lot of sense of ownership despite um, that was my first job, right? So I did that for like six, seven years at my uh, nonprofit. And I realized, okay, um, Nonprofit, there's still still ceiling to my learning. So whenever I think about my career, right, I always want to be in a job where I could have constant and um, very challenging growth. Because I re I, I always give this career advice to anyone who's younger than me. Because I realize I, I I figure the most important thing for a job is to equip, is to learn. Um, I always tell my team, like, no matter how much money we give you, no matter how much um, satisfaction that you have at, at the job, right? If you're not learning, then this is not right, this is not the right job for you, right? So, like six, seven years into my nonprofit, I realized that, like, kind of the the scale, it's around that scale. Like, it's very hard for a nonprofit to scale really fast. And I realized my my learning has kind of plateaued a little bit, and that's why I figured that I need something else. I need a breakthrough in my career. I was looking um, quite a bit. Um, a lot of the headhunters, recruitment agencies actually disregard my nonprofit kind of work history. They were like, oh, this work experience is not considered relevant. You don't have any commercial experience. You only did three years of banking. That's not like entirely relevant for us. So I remember I came across uh, Al Alex. Um, and I through the interview process, I remember Jack and um, Kai, uh, my manager now, and some of the other people. Actually, a lot. Uh, asked me about my nonprofit experience, how I grew my team, how I think about um, my funnel at the nonprofit. Like, because nonprofit, you have to do fundraising and also need to recruit teachers as well. So I need to think about like marketing and 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 how do I manage funnel as well. I remember they asked me a lot on on that. And then I actually get uh, got a job from Alex, and I was like, oh, this is a very bold company, right? Hiring someone who 
didn't really have a lot of fintech experiences and um, who was quite new to basically managing a commercial organization, right? And um, I started off as the head of growth for Hong Kong, like managing a very small team. It was only myself and my strategy manager. I was remember, um, I remember I was doing my own sales. I was like talking to clients, basically basic hustling my way through, right? Going to client meetings, going to our channel partners, selling it myself, right? And eventually, I think um, that helps a lot in terms of how I build my team. We found uh, product market fit in Hong Kong, which I was responsible for the market very early on. So we we ramped our team really fast. Right now, I'm two and a half years in Alex. Um, I was very lucky. Um, I, I got promoted twice. Um, I expanded my remit, uh, not just to Singapore, but also expanded my remit horizontally from not just the growth business to right now the enterprise business as well. So right now, I basically help manage uh, Alex commercial activities across Hong Kong and Southeast Asia, across both uh, SME growth and also enterprise as well. I think your story is like literally full of like twists and turns. Like for one, you started Goldman and yes. you end up jumping into business school and then you take a gap year, you work at a, actually found a nonprofit for like five, six, seven years, I think. Something yeah, around yeah. that. And then you jump into like a startup and you're not even jumping in at like a super early role. You're actually managing people already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's actually quite interesting, right? Like, but uh, but I think for me, the learning it's always about uh, always try to believe in better. Try to like um, always try to like um, uh, believe in growth, believe in like um, learning. And I uh, the reason I think um, my current job gave me a lot of satisfaction is because my role basically switched two or three times already, like from just being a team head at a local level to like right now managing uh, commercial teams across two, three different markets. So I do think for me, it's all about the, the constant growth, right? Believing like that you can always be challenged, believing that you can always take on a bigger scope and a bigger challenge, even though when 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 you yourself, you don't even believe in doing that as well, right? Like I, I think it's always about challenging yourself. And I, I was very lucky in my, in my entire career that I always get the opportunity to be constantly challenged. And um, and every time, like when I was being challenged, I always remind myself that, okay, you're just a very junior person. You can always put aside your ego. You can always start from scratch, learn new things. And I think that is, at least for me, very important to me because um Especially my nonprofit, right? I was quite lucky. Um, I was pre the nonprofit itself was pretty well known in Hong Kong. I got a lot of accolades because of because of that. And and there were certain periods of time where I'll be very full of myself as well. I'll be like, oh, this is what I've achieved, and um, I'll be like getting arrogant and 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 not reminding myself to constantly learning, right? So I, I'm I'm really grateful that I actually was presented with a lot of different opportunities, say joining Outworks, right, to constantly challenge myself, put aside my ego, put back my learning hat on and, and really learn something from scratch. And I think that to me is the most fulfilling part of my very eventful career. I think like as somebody who grew up in Hong Kong, do you feel like the the values that you had growing up reflect in the way that you view work and the way that you work as well? Yeah. I think it's not just in Hong Kong. I think it's more like an Asian culture thing where um, we're always told to kind of um, put our head down, work hard, and then you advance in a corporate, advance in a, in, in a career in a very kind of traditional way. Um, so I, I do think um, that kind of Asian values were, I was actually 
quite affected by those um, kind of very traditional fellows as well. But I, I felt like business school changed me and also working in startup changed me as well. Because I felt like if you talk to people who are very different from the traditional kind of Asian values, like who are more kind of bold and who are more willing to take risks, you get affected, you get attracted to those people as well. And I, I felt like the startup scene is um, full of people like that, full of people who are very audacious, who are willing to dream and who, uh, who are very bold to kind of make bold decisions as well. I, I, and then I do think um, it actually contradicts a lot in terms of the values I grew up with, but I do think I was very fortunate that I was given the opportunity to basically say no to those values and and basically follow the paths and follow the the, the thinking of a lot of great uh, entrepreneurs and, and startup managers. I think if there's one thing that does like, transfer from the Asian values is being able to put down your head and work um, without the ego, except not now, not in the traditional sense that you take the values of working hard, but now you put it into taking the risk or going to new challenges. So with you, I guess like something I'm interested in learning about is like, how did you tell yourself like, okay, it's time to leave Goldman. It's, and it's time to go to business school and head to a new environment. Was it something about you that wanted to, sort of challenge yourself or was it something else that made you go there yeah because i like i do think for me it's always about learning it's always about constantly being challenged right and um i kind of share a little bit in terms of my background as well like i before going to goldman i've been very local um i i went to a local college i i didn't speak english on a daily uh, basis right i was very local and goldman basically inspired me to to think a lot more global think a lot more about like oh how i could build a global career right and um i think constantly when i was being put into a situation where i see and meet people who are so much smarter so much more well exposed than me right like and very naturally you want to be like them you want to aspire to be um to grow like them right and i and i think um at every occasion for instance from goldman to business school it's like okay i felt like three years of goldman um i have met really really great people i want to aspire to be like them and i realized that um i i need um kind of a more overseas exposure for me to be, to think like them and to to have that kind of exposure to make decisions like them, right? So that's why I went into business school. And um, and in business school, why did I come back to do a nonprofit? It's because um, I got inspired by a lot of um, kind of great leaders at business school, how they kind of make changes to the world, how they see impact as well. So I think that also changes me in terms of oh, how I want to be them as well, how I want, I want to think like them. I think every, um, for me, I'm not, um, if, if you believe in MBTI, right, I'm not those very, like, kind of, um, my MBTI is ENFP. So P versus J, I'm more like um, uh, spontaneous. I'm more, I'll say, I, I decide my career more like following my passion and following my heart kind of type of, of thinking. So I do think for me, my passion is always challenging myself. and my, um, It's always about learning and doing something that I I thought I couldn't be doing, but like basically challenging myself to like to advance and to to learn new things. And I guess out of all the kinds of nonprofits or initiatives you could start, why would you do something like, you know, Teach for Hong Kong? Did you have a passion for education or was there an experience that you had? 
Yeah. So I've always been a very people-oriented person. So um, I like being sales. I like talking to people. I like meeting new people. And I think for me, like being very people-oriented, like it's very natural for me, not just as a manager, right? Just as an employee, I would think about, okay, how could I do better? How, why did someone else do better than me? Uh, does he or she have a better education? Um, does he or, uh, was he or, he or she be well, uh, uh, more well-trained compared to me, right? Like, so I always um, ponder these issues, like how do I make myself or make my team better, right? And a lot of it actually comes down to education. A lot of it comes down to um, how people are being trained, how people are being shaped, how people are being brought up, right? And and that's why I'm a huge believer in education and training. I'm a huge believer in people development. Um, I saw how my first manager at Goldman kind of empowered me and, and gave me the room to to grow, right? And um, and I saw how education had an impact on me and on and also on a lot of my smart peers, both at Goldman and also at at our business school. So I always want to have that kind of um, experiences. I, I want to contribute though to those kind of experiences. I want to contribute to people's development. I want to contribute to make education and people develop better, at least, um, especially for uh, for Hong Kong, which is my hometown, right? So that's why I kind of started a nonprofit that is surrounding those issues. Even after the nonprofit, right? Like how I see my team and how I recruit my team now, right? Like I actually interview people, right? We are especially, um, this year we're hiring people so like uh, rapidly. I actually have at least three five interviews every week um, talking to like um, young uh, tech professionals. Uh, usually in those uh, interviews, I actually focus a lot on how they could develop in my team. Like I actually ask them a lot in terms of what's their career ambition, what's their career vision, how do you think um, our company as a platform, how we could help you kind of fulfill your career, how could how we could help you equip you. So I'm always very interested in the people development side of things, um, not just as an employee or a team member, also as a manager or, or as a nonprofit founder. I've always been very interested in those issues. And then when you were sort of recruiting for your team and setting up your nonprofit, how did you approach it? I feel like you know, we always see a lot of articles. Like, how do you start a startup? But we never see an article like, how do you start a nonprofit? And I feel like it's a whole different ball game. So how did you go about starting it up and hiring your first team members? Um, I do think it's it's um, it's basically also related to all my kind of learning, right? Basically, I remember starting my nonprofit at the age of 25, right? And, and um, doing that, I only have one experience before I was like working at a bank, right? So naturally, I was a sales, right? So what I know how to do is selling, right? So um, I think the first part is like selling the funders to give us the donations. And then once we have the donations, we basically sell to to the uh, to the talent, right? So I think everything it's about selling. Um, and um, I was very fortunate that I was given a three year of training of sales. So like it's about selling the dream and also um, selling the cost, right? So I, I do think that is especially starting a nonprofit is tough, right? It's not a startup where they get equity and whatnot, right? It's like people who, who believe in your dream. So I was um, practicing selling the dream, like basically day in and day out. Like I remember when I was starting my nonprofit, like I meet people a lot and uh, I basically met everyone and try to kind of sell the dream, right? I think it's very similar to what I'm doing now, even at works, right? Like I, well, there there will be candidates that, that, that will be thinking whether to join us or join some, somewhere else, right? Like how do we sell them? This is the dream. How do we sell them? Okay, this is the work that you will be embarking on. This will be the platform that you can grow your career very uh, in a very rapid manner. So like, I think it's a lot about like how you, you pitch to people and how you sell, sell the dream. And I do think all entrepreneurs or all 
good managers are, are people who are entrepreneurial and are people who can articulate the vision and dream very well. How would you sort of explain like the way that you would pitch somebody to join your team or join your company? Like what, what strategies have you learned over time that work and not just telling them to join you, but also identifying the right person? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think that also goes back to my passion of people development, right? Like, and I, I think my learning from my nonprofit because I, um, I was working with like a lot of teachers and also working with a lot of low-income school children, right? I think one of the biggest learning or skills that I pick up is empathy. Like, how do you really kind of try to understand people? from their own perspectives, right? Because I think in a commercial world, especially in a startup world where everyone's like very impatient, everyone's like looking for like triple digit growth, like what's our um, uh, year-on-year growth, month-on-month growth, right? It's very easy to forget people are people, like people are emotional feelings. Like we always, sometimes we manage our funnel, manage our team based on, okay, how much target you have achieved. Like we, we often... It's very easy to see people as just percentage or see people as just um, um, kind of like a team to, to, to drive numbers, right? By the end of the day, I think what I really learned in, in my entire career is that to become a good people leader, you really need to be very empathetic and you really need to understand people's motivation. I do think for, at least for my team in Alex, like I try very hard to make sure that at the interview stage, I understand why people really want to join us. Like I said before, I really want to recruit people who not only just want to be motivated by money, I want people to be motivated by the, the fact that he or she can work in a team that help businesses to do cross-border payments, to help businesses to manage their, their online payments, right? I really want people who are like intrigued and motivated by the fact that we are working towards a bigger um, kind of goal of changing uh, the payment landscape. So I think from the recruitment end, we we want to sell people the vision. We want to tell people the vision and, and the dream of working together. And at the same time, it's also a two-way street, right? People need to be, people need to think like that as well. When people purely just are like motivated by money and then probably my team wouldn't be the the best fit for them. I think that's number one. I think number two is like really going back to the empathy part, like really understand their own learning, right? I always tell my team that you need to hold me accountable for your own learning. Like it's very easy for us to say, okay, how much um, revenue that you have driven but for me i always want my one-to-one conversation is like how much growth not just in terms of commercial numbers how much growth you have experienced in the past year right what have you achieved in terms of your own personal learning and growth and i think that part i think it's very important to me it's also very important to my team and um, the fact that if your manager and your people leader really care about your growth and care about how how you can develop your career, then I do think you attract the right type of people that are willing to basically fight with you and hustle with you to achieve your team's goal. How do you develop the empathy for your potential hires and being able to understand their motivations? Like, how did you develop that personally? Or do you have like any strategies and how you do that? Yeah, so I do think um, I was very fortunate because of my experiences before, like I was like my nonprofit experiences and my, my sales experiences actually kind of train my empathy muscle quite well in terms of how I kind of get to know people and how I get get to talk to people. And But I think 
especially in an interview setting, right? Like I, I do think um, sometimes people, candidates are very tense and sometimes um, candidates are very nervous at the same time they will put on a face or put on a certain kind of uh, like rhetoric to interview, right? So I, I do think for me, I, I tend to make interviews a little more casual. Uh, I tend to make it more like a chit chat, um, try to understand people's uh, motivation and try to understand people's upbringing, right? Just like what you have asked me, right? Like when, when I try to understand how people's like career evolved and how people kind of, um, um, their own upbringing, because I do think one's motivation is being shaped by their own experiences. So, uh, I personally am very curious about people's stories. So um, I like to listen to people's stories. I like to hear how people um, kind of uh, shape their own values and shape their own motivation. So I, I in all my one-to-ones, I actually get to know my team really well as well. Like our team hang out a lot in, in the office. Like we will hang out outside work. We do a lot of things outside work together because I, I do think for me, my management style is to really get to know the team a lot on even on a personal level like um sometimes they ask me for relationship advice and whatnot like all these like kind of like random things we'll talk about so it's because i do think getting to know them as a person will understand their motivation better and it will make um, people make a manager like it will make the manager's job easier to like know or why do your team behave that way why do your team kind of like act in a certain way right and and you know how to motivate them and how to put assign the right task for them right if you're assigning tasks that someone is not interested or motivated to do then it's no point right it's a waste of company resources it's a waste of uh, efficiency as well how do you sort of try to get to know them i feel like you know growing up in asia a lot of the times your jobs are corporate a lot of people are used to you know being in school where there's a big divide um, between maybe like the the teachers or in you know in the work side it's like your managers right so how do you develop um, that relationship on the personal side? Yeah, I think that's a really good point as well because I think um, in Asia the majority of the work space would be like check in check out like people just yeah. walk in and then just and you're uh, afraid of for your like boss. Six, seven <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're like hiding your like cubicles like the, the, like kind of have like don't talk to me kind of sign right like yeah. Um, but I I think um, I think we're quite lucky. Um, I think my team always. Um, um, describe my team as a startup within a big startup. Like we obviously had the luxury of a Series C E startup where we have a lot of resources, but at the same time, at the local regional level, we do have a lot of flexibility. So we did a lot of we we actually empower the team to create a lot of events as well. So at least in my team, most of the social events or most of the people who hang out together, like they actually organize it themselves. Like I actually empower them to like, um, to do things, to organize things outside of work. So uh, we did a lot of things together. We did Dragon Ball, we did like um, a lot of um, sports together. Like some of my teams actually work out every day together at, um, at our company gym. So I think um, being very open and being very open-minded and at the same time willing to put down your manager's head and really hang out with them. I think it's very important. Like I suck at sports, um, but I, I joined their workshops as well, being them. And then every time it almost killed me. Um, so I think being the type of manager that they don't see, they see you more like um, someone that they could look up to rather than someone, rather than having them see you as a boss, I think it's very important. Um, really kind of like having, building that rapport, that, that trust. I think for me, um, energize myself and also energize the team a lot as well like having that kind of empowerment like getting the team to come up with initiatives themselves right and also create that safe space of environment where 
people can basically raise their hands and and and, and take on new initiatives. And I think that kind of vibe and culture there's a very deliberate effort from from the manager because as the most senior person in the room it's very easy that what you say and what you not say send a message to the team right so my own approach even at my team setting right um, i try to be less vocal i try to encourage my team to be more vocal so that because i understand as the more senior person on the team right like everything that you said would have impact on how the team think about the, the direction right obviously i want to encourage um an, an environment where everyone takes a high ownership towards the team success and and with that people would be willing to take the extra mile and also basically do the extra effort to kind of make the team better and since you also had your own founding team at your nonprofit, and then when you joined airwallex it was just two of you how do you take or do this approach on a smaller scale? Like when you only have one to three team members, how do you maintain that sort of close personal relationship? Because I don't think you could always just have an initiative where you all do the dragon boat. You're like three people, right? Four people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah. I actually missed the time the most when uh, we first started in Hong Kong in Alex, um, because it was just a small team of four or five people, right? Like we did this initiative every Friday where Friday is our team meeting, right? Like, um, But we actually learned it from one of my other manager at was as well. Like every Friday more, um, at, at a team meeting, we basically go around the table to do a sense check on everyone. And we will just talk about random stuff, like what they do on the weekend, how's their week, uh, anything fun in, that they will talk about. So we actually go around the table to do that um, every Friday for like a good one year until our team expanded to to a size that we can't do that anymore. Um, but I do think... Um, I, I still miss the, the the period where the team is actually small, where um, you actually spend most of the time seeing those the same group of people, and um, you actually I actually think that's easier to build a rapport because like you you eat you have lunch together every day, you sit beside them and you talk to them, you go to coffee breaks together, um, and and I think that those kind of um, things help with the rapport. And I think as a manager, like I said, right, as a manager, you really like sometimes some people describe me as a very kind of like nosy manager. I like to ask about uh, different things. I was like, okay, you can answer me whatever you want, but like, I like, like to know more about how uh, life is going on for you, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not just curious about how they perform at work, right? I want to be, I want to get to know them as a person. I want to get to know them as friends, right? Because I, I want them to know that I, I, I care about them, not just about their numbers. And I guess like throughout your career, from everything from Goldman up until now, what do you think has been the most difficult part on the personal side? Yeah, I think that's uh, interesting. Um, for me, I think I get bored very easily. So I I like new challenges, which I think for me is difficult because like um, like there will be occasions, not just at Alex, also at my nonprofit and also Goldman, right? Where there'll be periods of time where you'll be repeating what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. You're like um, grinding, but there's no outcome, right? Like for instance, even at Alex, right? And in the first three to six months, I didn't have any sales with me. Like I was uh, doing sales myself. Like I remember that we, we didn't have a really strong brand back then in Hong Kong. And then uh, no one, kind of like the people are not very open to a fintech solution. I, I was, I remember I was going into um, like a very traditional 
uh, trading house and they're asking me, oh, um, does Alex take check? I was like, okay, uh, we're a fintech solution. We, we we want you guys to be more open-minded to like um, kind of like fintech payment methods, right? I remember like getting a lot of no's, uh, like people were like, oh, no, no, this is not for us. We're a very traditional company. So I think that was very difficult, uh, very frustrating for me because I kept rebeating and I'm also very impatient, right? And and I kept repeating doing the same thing over and over and over again, over and over again for three to six months, and there's no immediate outcome. So I think that was very frustrating and difficult for me as well. Um, I think during difficult times for me, I'm not a very persistent person, um, so I give up very easily. To be very honest, um, I'm surprised. I, for, <laughs> I yeah, can't yeah, believe yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but 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 to me, I think um, I give up on my own very easily. But to me, I think, um, like I said, I'm a people-oriented person. I, I get energy from people. So I, I do think um, uh, I was very fortunate that I had a good team like throughout my career, right? I think like fighting and, and, and kind of like hustling together with the team is actually what gave me energy. So I think um, I usually turn those difficult periods into like, more like a team effort, more like a team kind of um, environment where people could push each other together. And and um, I also commit, also often commit a mistake where when when it was difficult, um, it's very easy to push your team to a point which is unreasonable. Because I'm very impatient as well. Because as, as a manager, you tend to push your team a lot. You need to, when, especially when numbers are not up, right? Like, so I often commit this mistake. I was like over pushing them to a point that is unbearable, right? So I, I, it's always a deliberate effort on how to balance pushing too hard, but at the same time, um, keeping the team morale, right? So I think, um, I think I, I, I constantly remind myself, okay, um, especially during like times where when it's difficult, like you need to like learn to build use the trust with the team to fight together rather than just purely pushing them. And I guess like when you're working in your role at Airwallex, what do you feel like are the times where um you've been pushed for growth the most? Considering you know you've you've been promoted three times or two times, right? Yeah. So I, I do think uh, we are a very ambitious startup. We always push ourselves um like so, so I, I don't think there will be any moments that uh, I felt like I was pushed the most. But I think constantly um, we're being pushed to perform and we're push, being pushed to grow, right? Like if you look at our trajectory, we're we're growing really, really fast in in uh, in my region, right? So I I think for me, um, the harder role for me is to move from just managing a single team to manage cross-regional and also supporting the other functions as well as a general manager, right? Like, um, I actually really enjoy that because like I said, I'm a very people-oriented person. I like to hear stories about different people. So like my, right now, my current role as a general manager for Hong Kong Southeast Asia, I actually got a lot more opportunity to work with people outside of just the commercial team. I get to work together with like legal compliance, operations, like people and talent team a lot more. So um, I actually really enjoy that part because um, um, I, I'm not very familiar with uh, the general management of a startup, um, of a um, kind of like unicorn startup like I was, right? Like, like right now, like, I was given the opportunity to manage the offices in Hong Kong and, and, and Singapore and Malaysia. I actually got pushed to um, grow to to become a better leader, not just for my own commercial team, but also for people who are not directly reporting to me, but like you have to also be responsible for their culture and also their well-being. So actually, I think that is a pretty steep learning curve for me, but I also like 
doing their part because it's um it's a basically a very people oriented kind of uh, responsibilities. But growing into the role, like what have been the most challenging points as a leader? Yeah, I think the most challenging point would be uh, something like I, I alluded to a little bit uh, earlier. It's how you push your team to the maximum, but at the same time, don't to a point where it's push your team push your team to the maximum, but also not cross the line to make it unbearable, right? So far, like uh, our team has very minimal churn. Like we have, um, I have a really really good team, but I also push them really really hard as well right so i think the most challenging part of as a leader is to strike that balance um like so how do you uh, keep that balance yourself i don't know i calibrate every time <laughs> sometimes i push it too hard like uh, make my team cry um i sometimes like they make me cry because like they they push back too hard like like not like cry cry but like like i would like be very upset because like why are they pushing back on me like i think um i think it's always a uh, constant calibration there is no perfect I, at least to me, my own kind of, um, I want to kind of um, uh, uh, comfort myself. I think that there's no perfect um, formula to that, right? It's always a constant calibration. It's always a constant struggle per se, right? But I feel like um, the only thing that I could comfort myself with is that, okay, um, you need to build a rapport with the trust. Like, even if they push back on you, if they like they don't see eye to eye with you, um, like it's it, there's no like like ill intentions. Like it's just like people have different views, right? I think I think um, especially in a very impatient kind of like startup growth oriented environment, it's very easy to be like, oh, do this, do that. Um, but instead like uh, don't really listen to your team. Right. And I think having that balance is very, very important. And um and the respect and and the trust to the team is also important. They know you be under. They know as a leader, I'm also under pressure, right? But like, they know if I respect them, if I try to walk with them in the journey, um, they would be willing to put in extra effort to not just fulfill their own goal, but help me fulfill my goal as a leader as well. I think that trust and rapport to me is very important, and to me, it's all. Also, what keep me going, uh, right? Because I, I, I don't want to build a team purely just on numbers. Right? I want to build a team that is trusting and and willing to to solve problems together. Because today we might solve the number problem, tomorrow we might have another problem, right? I think at the end of the day, it's it's the right amount of trust and right amount of rapport that could lead the team to solve whatever problems that would evolve. And like today, like what do you feel like motivates you to do all the work day in day out? Because I think you're really casual in this whole talk, but I'm sure the whole job that you have is really, really stressful. <laughs> so what, what motivates you? Okay, outside of the people, right? But like when you're alone and it's really hard, like what motivates you to keep on going? Yeah, I think for me, there are two things that attract me. And I talked about the people part. The second part is uh, the learning. Like I, I'm i also very type A, despite being uh, like... Um, um, I'm, I'm almost also still very type A in a way that I like winning. I like achievement. I like to prove not to, not to others, but to more to myself. I do like to prove that I could do something that I thought I couldn't, and I think that is something that it's um, that constantly drive me. Um, I know sometimes like uh, um, like there will be tasks that are seemingly uh, unrealistic, but I always I'm, I'm very audacious person. I like to try. I take stress pretty well. Like I, I usually just brush it aside, and I, 
I, I see things in a very comical way. Um, I like I like I like to joke around. Like I always make a lot of random jokes at the office. Um, um, and I, I see. I think stress is one thing, but I think for me, it's also about how, like me, I can't be accountable to myself, right? Me being trying to like me trying to like kind of learn the most and trying to to prove to myself that I could do it. Right? I think that is what motivates them me the most and 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 obviously the people like i mentioned and i think you mentioned earlier that you know people's childhoods influence them a lot in the way they think and the way they work um beyond what you shared earlier what do you think are the influences from your childhood that really made you who you are now are there any critical moments that really shaped you yeah 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 so i I, I did very well in exams. So I was a nerd um, in childhood. Um, I was a pretty big nerd. Um, I did pretty well in exams, and I, and I do think um, that keeps me going a lot. Like I and I always believe in hard work. Um, like if you study harder, you could you could um, ace exams. You could like you could like um, beat the, uh, the 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 advantage. Right? I was um, I, I was not very smart in some areas, but I, I knew hard work could make up for it. So I, I, I believe in hard work. I believe in, in hustle. I believe in like making things, um, happen and, and being very impatient. I believe in that. I like a lot of people are saying that I'm very impatient. Like, I always like don't like my, my, sometimes my team push around me like, I oh, know you're just being very impatient. You asked me this like just yesterday. Why are you asking me again? But like, uh, I believe in, in the value of being patient. I, I, um, I, I like to see quick results and quick wins and 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 uh, i think my childhood shaped me into th- that type of personality but i think for me that also also pushes me to always prioritize action right like for instance like right now we're trying some new verticals right and i was all ask i was often asking my team like um okay we can do like one hour of desktop research but the next hour we should immediately pick up the phone and actually try cold call and, and to see whether there's a problem market fit in that vertical so i i think for me um my childhood shaped my kind of a lot of my impatience and and that kind of shaped how i always like prioritizing action um across uh, above like just purely thinking was it because like you were always maybe doing well in school. And then if there was something you're not doing good at, you immediately sort of take action to study harder. And then after that, you immediately see the win. Is that is that why? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a positive loop. Exactly. It's a positive loop. But obviously there, there will be things there will be things that you don't see the win immediately, but like because I'm very impatient, like I'll I'll try other things. I'll try other things to see the win. And then you'll see a win there and then it feels fulfilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're used yeah, to that. Yeah, you yeah. you like that feeling and then you try to yeah, chase yeah. that throughout the rest of your career. Okay. Yeah, it. yeah. I like that. I like that thrill. I like that. Um, I like that. Um, some people think it's and uh, some people think it'll give anxiety, but I don't. Like I'm I'm a very last minute person, a very uh, spontaneous and impatient person. So I but I actually enjoy being like that. So let's say there was like one subject in school before that you're doing really poorly at, what would you do? <laughs> Or what did you do at the time? No, I just like kept studying and just like learned from the 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 the, the person who, who did the, the best at that subject, right? Like I like I always believe that if someone else can do it, like you you might not be doing as well, but I'm sure you can learn from that person and yeah. do better, right? And then like going back to the present, outside of work, what what do you usually do? Yeah, I actually have a lot of. Uh, different interests um i I still, I still sit on my nonprofit board i still do a lot of volunteer work um in my nonprofit, and also i still help 
the community quite a bit. I sit on actually a couple of non boards. I also sit on some of the government advisory committees in Hong Kong, giving a lot of advice on like youth and, and also people development. Um, I think that's number one. Number two, it's um, I I do a lot of uh, random things with my team and my friends, like hiking. I, I did hip-hop dancing last year. I like learning new new stuff. So I like constantly challenging myself. I'm, I'm very bad at sports. Like sports is like my weakest link. But like, um, I think um, for me, I, I did more sports because of joining Alex because my team is also very sporty. And uh, we, we always use sports to basically bring everyone together. So um, despite the fact that I suck at it, I always want to try and learn and always want to kind of do new things that, that push me out of my comfort zone. And like on a weekend, what would we find you typically doing? Um, you will be fi- finding me um, either in Hong Kong and Singapore or Singapore because sometimes I go um, one week uh, on average every month in Singapore. So Singapore, I like going to like uh, different bars, different restaurants and also enjoy the, the nature as well. Um, uh, Hong Kong, obviously hiking. I like hiking a lot. I just went for a hike last Sunday and uh, eating different kind of food. Um, my, my team has several foodies. So like sometimes we group together and to try out different new restaurants as well. Actually, like speaking of your team, like how do you actually manage like the bond between the teams since they're spread across different countries and like your bonds with them? Yeah. So like, when I was managing just like two, three people or like five, six people, I could still be very personally close and with them, right? Has a personal report, right? But right now, my team across Hong Kong Southeast Asia is like 40, 50 people, right? Like, you, you, it's the reality you can't be as close to every one of them as you would like to, right? So I, I do think it's also about empowerment. So my minus, I need to make sure my minus one are also really, really good managers. And I am sure they are. And some of them, I think, are better managers compared to me. So I, I, I think, um, we, we make people managers um, based on the fact that whether they could build the same kind of vibe and same kind of culture within the team. So I don't need to be close to the 40, 50 people that I manage, but I want my minus one or or I want sub-teams across my different org to have the similar culture as we did when we first started. And I guess like one other question I also have is like when you're managing like a remote team, how do you build that bond between people? Yeah, so I think um, traveling is important. Work travel is important. That's why I always spend time in Singapore. Like I do think soon it's convenient, but at the same time you can't. Like it's very hard to replace the human to human interaction, right? So that's why, like I think the best way to build rapport is always to spend a lot of time with them. So we did retreats. Um, we sent some of the leads from Singapore to Hong Kong to do offsite and retreats. And I go there very often and ever and and every time when I'm there, I would spend time to to do lunches, dinners, um, a lot of work, right? Basically, not just because sometimes when you're trying to build a rapport with people in the office, like you're bound by the kind of office setting. You're like, you'll be talking work about work like 90 or 100% of the time, right? But like once you kind of go out like for drinks, for lunch with them, you kind of hear them more as a person. You'll hear their own perspective more on work more actually like they will share a lot more of their feelings on how they see things with you and, and you get to know them better like even if i don't go to singapore right i think it's also you could still do that through zoom it's just a deliberate a very deliberate effort in terms of what kind of question you ask your team right like how do you shape your one-to-one conversation i think as long as you put a deliberate effort to understand what's going on with the team and i think um that would like kind of help you open up. But obviously, 
like there will be people that are less willing to open up. I respect that. I think different people have different attitude towards how they want to interact with their coworkers. But I think but the majority of my team, they they like to handle a lot at the office. They like to build a personal bonding within the office as well. So over like Zoom or even in these one-on-one conversations, like how do you deliberately shape the questions? Like what kind of questions do you usually ask? So I will like, uh, usually I'll ask them like, oh, like, how are you feeling? I ask a lot about feeling. I ask a lot about like different perspective, uh, like your personal perspective. Like say for instance, like say a conflict just happened, right? Like I will, like I never tip uh, like a blaming tone or whatnot. I never say, oh, why Why do you say that? Why do you say uh, say that, right? I would more like, oh, try to understand a little bit more um, uh, what, how, how do you feel? Uh, what why uh, what uh, what was the thinking behind? It? I would try to understand that more, um, and 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 to get to the bottom of like the perspectives, right? Because I at the end of the day, it's about people's perspective, and different people have different perspectives because of their upbringing, because of their values, right? And sometimes we disagree because we have different perspectives, and and the, the way to drive agreement and to drive understanding is for people to see your perspective and for you to try to see their perspective, right? Like, there's no way that I could see 100% um, where they're coming from, right? But at least you need to um, try. You need to get to know them and get to get them to try explaining. And and if your team and your kind of um, people who you work with see that you put in that deliberate effort, I think people would appreciate that. And as someone who is hiring her first team, like what advice would you give me on how to hire and manage my own team? Yeah, I do think, um, probably not advice per se, I'll just share what I did with all my experiences as a manager. I think it's important to hire someone that are willing to be challenged and someone who is like hungry for growth. Because at the end of the day, especially in the startup world, right? Like um, everything grows very fast. And sometimes like it's a lot of, uh, it would create some anxiety, it would create some uncertainty. But I, I do think the best talents would be someone who are very open to grow, open to grow into areas that they have no idea in and um, who are willing to put in extra work to to basically learn. I think hire people who are willing to grow and hire people who are learners. I think um, for me, it's very important because at the end of the day, um, these people would bring in the positive kind of learning and grow, winning and grow culture across the team as well. Um, if you get more of these people, um, then your team will drive itself. And I guess like with the way that you hire people, how do you find out whether there are people who aren't driven by monetary incentives and are people who are really sort of incentivized to grow? I think people need to be driven by monetary incentive, but whether that's their only driver, it's a question that I always ask. Um, I want, uh, I often, often ask people how, um, how they, I, I will often ask people what, where do they get their sense of achievement from? What, what, what drives them? What motivates them? And through those conversations, you can get to know them a little bit better. And, and, and you can tell whether, what, the, the company that you're building, whether that would give them the sense of satisfaction, right? Because no matter how good he or she as a writer, as a sales, right? If if what you're giving to them doesn't motivate them, right? It's no point for them to stay. When you're sort of, when you're building Airwallex in your own um, area as a GM, like what are the biggest challenges um, as a GM of a really fast growing company? 
in the sense of like managing the growth across each market? Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, um, my personal, I'm very, I, I thrive in ambiguity. I thrive in uncertainty. I thrive in kind of like um, things going very fast because like there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of like ever-changing moving puzzles, right? I, I thrive in that. I, I, I like the ever-changing element, but my personal preference doesn't mean it's my team's preference or, or all the people that I'm managing, the, the preference of all the people that I'm managing, right? So I think the struggle will always be like the team is going very fast, the market's going very fast. How do you give the sense and consistency to the team? Uh, because at the end of the day, you can't be having 40, 50 people um, all doing everything at the same time without like clear processes and 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 um, and clear structure, right? So I think for me is to empower people who are good at building the necessary structure and necessary process for the forty and fifty people of my team to work well together, right? Because um, because at the end of the day, we need to be very fast, but at the same time, we need to be not wasting efficiency or not wasting uh, resources, right? So we need to have a um, somewhat structured way to move to move the market forward. So for me is to empower people who are very good at this to help me develop the process and structure uh, in my team. That, that's number one. That's the basic, right? Getting the basic structure and process. And at the same time, also manage the team to be more open-minded to uncertainty and to be more open-minded to to challenges. I think that's more the people side of things. What mistakes do you feel like you made throughout, um, you know, adjusting your role at Airwallex? I think I won't say it as a mistake, but sometimes I would be like this is a calibration process, right? Sometimes I I tend to push people too hard um, on on some areas, but sometimes I'm too lenient on on people. Like um, I think I I won't call it mistakes, but I think it's always a constant calibration. Like in terms of at what moment you should push at what moment you should give flexibility and, and give empowerment. I think those would be um, uh, some of the learning and mistakes that I've um, kind of accumulated throughout the years. But I think it's always a constant calibration, right? Like how do you be super close to your team, but at the same time push them to the extreme, um, not to a point that would drive them away and make them unbearable, right? And I think that is always a constant calibration. And that, I think, takes experiences and also like leadership. And that's why for me, leadership is always an art. It's not a science. So you mentioned this earlier, but like, how do you actually do that calibration process? Like, what do you look at? And then how do you decide on what changes to make? Yeah. So like, I often go to meetings and then just like, like, like push people on numbers, like like and 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 just like uh, like like ask people this and that, like give them like not not trying to give them hard time, but like ask people harsh questions, right? Which rightfully so as a manager, right? You need to understand what what more in the business, you know, uh, why is it not going as a, a per hour expectation, right? You need to ask those harsh questions. That's why the personal report is important, right? Like it's right for me to ask those harsh questions, but it's also as my job as a leader. To make sure those on the receiving end, when we ask those harsh questions, like it won't demoralize them. They will see those harsh questions as uh, an inspiration for them to think through areas that haven't thought through and, and put them into action that drive immediate outcome, right? And um, I think that process needs a leader to to really have a very honest discussion after those harsh discussions. 
Like you need a debrief on the harsh discussion or like how are you feeling? Do you think I push you in the right way? What what do you feel about being uh, asked those harsh questions? Right. I think that's the leader's job to really understand how one feel after being pushed or after being asked to do very difficult things. Um, I think for me, it's that's the calibration process, a calibration exercise I talk about. Obviously, as a manager, I could just ask those harsh questions and don't care about how they think, right? But I think ultimately, this is not a sustainable way to manage a team, right? Because if I don't care how the receiving end think when I have those tough conversations and tough questions, right? Often not, they will be very demoralized. Often not, they will think, I'm just a manager that pushed them. I'm not a manager that care about them, or I'm not a manager that's understanding. I think that is the type of calibration I talk about. Like really get to really get to know how people feel after you give them difficult tasks or give or have a very tough conversation. So you usually go through the process of giving them the difficult task or going through that tough conversation first and then right after that. Have some one to ones after, mm-hmm. yeah. Or probably one or two days later. Because like at, like we often debate, right? Like uh, we, I think at, uh, at any healthy kind of company or healthy team, like you always want to encourage debates, right? And debate can, can sometimes people can get very emotional with debates, right? And, and it's okay to get emotional sometimes as well. Um, but at, at the same time, as a leader, you need to make sure that you you should be the person with the biggest heart, right? You should be the person who has the least ego and who have the biggest heart and to care for the team. You can be very tough at those debates but at the same time at the end of the day you need to make sure that as a leader you also need to care about their well-being as well how do you sort of manage someone who actually doesn't speak up or somebody who just likes to let's say you give them feedback they do it constantly but you don't actually hear so much from them how do you manage people like that because i feel like in asia there's a lot of culture where you don't want to speak up right (laughs) yeah yeah i think a you would like i think my team would really attract those people because like my team is a very outspoken team team like when 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 they go through a very uh, rigorous interview process like um, in our works because they have to meet a lot of different people before they join right and i think those people would usually be screened out um but like normally they would like it's a self-selection pass as well they probably won't be want to join a team that uh, is so vocal and that is like um, people voicing their views but even so right um, there will be existing teams that are non-vocal I think at the end of the day it's about understanding people reason for not being vocal some people like to take it slower uh, which I respect um, some people are just not as vocal. Um, I respect that as well. I don't think being vocal is the only measure of success for everyone. I do think it's also about uh, one's contribution in other areas as well. But the only thing that I need to be aware of is that people are not being vocal because they don't have a safe environment. I think that I'll be always be very careful not to create an environment where it's not safe, where people can't be vocal if they want to be vocal. And then what is your approach when you see like a team member who's not performing so well? Like how do you help motivate them or help them actually get on track? Maybe they're slow to start or maybe they're having a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there will be two things. I think A is to really assess why um, there's a slow start. Usually it's because of motivation, right? Like if the job doesn't give him or her the right motivation, that I actually would ask people to go early because I don't think um, if the motivation is aligned because 
interview is one thing, right? Interview that like, you can talk about motivation, and um, sometimes it's not the most accurate one, right? Like once they start, right, they will know whether the job is motivating or interesting enough for them. If the motivation and the alignment are not there, I don't think it's good use of his his or her time or the company's time to keep that person, right? I'll actually like have a very honest conversation. Oh, this might not work. Um, do you want to leave, right? So that's number one. And number two is like if they have the motivation, like. If they still don't do very well, then it's our problem not to give them the right training, not to give them the right guidance, right? So I usually would like uh, ask uh, some of my stronger team members to to do more coaching, do more check-ins with them. Um, and I, I I still believe in hard work. I still believe in like, if, especially in our business, right? If you are willing to put in effort, like for sure, like if you're given the right tools and you're given the right training, you will definitely see results. And with the way that you're shaping your team now, what are you most proud of when you see them performing or them interacting with other team members? Um, I do think I'm most proud of the fact that they all are friends, but at the same time, they all push each other to the extreme to grow. Like I, I, I really enjoy seeing them like debating on very crazy business issues at meetings and then after the meeting they're like friends like go to drinks go on trips together like i think that is something that i am most proud of the culture of where people are take work very seriously um and push each other to grow but at the same time they themselves um are a very, very tight knit um kind of community and as we wrap up i actually want to ask you what's one thing you want to achieve in your personal life this is something i ask everybody who i speak with on the podcast and for the thing that you want to achieve in your personal life, this doesn't have to be something that you'll achieve this year or even in the next five years, just anything you want to achieve in your personal life at some point. Yeah, I actually want to advocate a little bit more in terms of people development, like how one should be managing. Because I, I feel like um, the, the leadership styles I talked about is pretty different from a lot of how business leaders see their teams, right? And I actually want to create... Uh, like a culture where where at least in my team or or my team's team right they would embody the type of culture the the, the type of empathy the type of leadership that i just talked about so i actually i'm very interested in people development so like i, I hope that like i will have a bigger platform not just in my team or have more like um friends and community that would um adopt a similar kind of uh, leadership style so even like outside of Airwalks, you still want to advocate for that and see it in more companies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, I I like people development. I I always like giving opportunity to people. I always like um, I want to advocate for 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 leaders that could help people to grow in a career. Because at the end of the day, for me, um, the most fulfilling part of the job is to see people grow, and um, and um, and help 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 them grow in their career. And I, I want that to be. Um, I want want that thinking to be more prominent even outside of our work as well. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Arnold, for joining me. Thank you so much, Amanda. I definitely learned a lot. And yeah, really excited to see what's next for you guys at Airwallex. I'm sure that I'll see a lot more awesome team members come up. (laughs) Cool, cool. Thanks, Amanda.